Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs> Damn it, for three. Somebody tell him he's a rookie. And welcome into the show, everybody. Jesse Caster with you for another episode of the Believe in Clippers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got a really fun look back on this week's show, a playoff playback. Going to be talking about the Clippers' Game 7 win over the Spurs in 2015. You know, that date just recently passed. It was May 2nd, 2015. So we're going to take a little look back. Me and my good friend Omar Spahi, we were at the game together. So we're going to relive it. Uh, Omar uh, a man who wears many hats. He's been a writer, a producer. Uh, he's obviously into basketball as well. He's been on my other NBA talk show, Three Man Weave, multiple times. He's a really good guy, and I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So that's coming up. Before we get there, want to make sure you know that if you enjoy the show, please rate and review on Apple. Subscribe. Give us a five-star review. It would be great for the show. And we're also available wherever else podcasts can be found, including Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. So with all of that said... Know that you can find us there, find us at Believe.com. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get into it here on this week's episode. Omar Spahi, Game 7 Playoff Playback here on the Believe in Clippers podcast. All right, I'm now joined here by my guest on the Believe in Clippers podcast. He's a good friend. He's a man who wears many hats. He's been a producer, a writer. He's joined me on my television show, Three Man Weave, many times. He's a huge basketball fan and, as I said, a great friend. Omar Spahi on the show. Omar, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here and uh, get to talk about uh, my favorite sport, basketball. Yeah, and we're doing this week, uh, as we talked about in the intro, the little bit of a playoff playback, the Clippers and Spurs 2015 Game 7. And the reason I brought Omar in, outside of the fact that he's very knowledgeable about basketball, is that we were there together at the game, uh, and we were able to witness that live. So, Omar, uh, I know that... As we said, we were talking a little bit before this how it's been remarkably five years since this, but uh, it feels like it's been shorter than that in what was an incredible experience. Man, that was so much fun going back at that. Like it's just like when you're in that atmosphere, there's nothing. There's nothing better. There's nothing. You just you have so much fun. You're just I love it. And that was one of the first things that I kind of noticed when I was rewatching the game or rewatching highlights of the game was how the crowd, as you mentioned, was. In, into it big time from the start when it was 0-0 just the defense chance it felt like a real huge playoff game which it was obviously but the crowd was definitely a huge factor in that game absolutely I mean uh, it's interesting because you go to a lot of games in LA and sometimes the crowd can be a little bit lackluster yeah. it can be um, sometimes it's like everyone goes to an LA games kind of just to be seen you want to be the Billy Crystal You do, not everyone's Clipper Daryl going to be out there who's going to be uh <laughs> screaming from the top of his lungs the entire game but for this playoff game it felt like everyone was there to like root and like be part of it and like it makes a difference the players really feel that energy they do and you know you would expect that for game seven but not only were the fans ready from the jump but 
you throw in the other fact that I think gets lost and forgotten in the years gone by, but that game, although it was on a weekend on a Saturday, was an early start. It was a random, weird 5 p.m. start time because the Manny Pacquiao-Floyd Mayweather fight was on that night, so the NBA, having just the one game, scheduled the Clippers and Spurs at 5 o'clock, and yet the crowd was still there and raring to go despite the unorthodox start time. Yeah, I mean, Game 7 will do that. Game 7, if it's like whatever it is, Game 7, <laughs> it's literally the the ultimate like accomplishment is to win in a Game 7 because it's win or go home. I mean, that's it. You yeah. have one chance to, to make it happen, and... That's all you can do. If you don't, if you don't get it done in Game Seven, your 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 history. Yeah, and when and when you think about that game outside of just any specific moment, what what resonates with you from thinking back to it and being there, uh, from what you remember from that game? Man, um, I think it goes back to the individual players and some of their narratives and their storylines. You know, there's certain times in history where you're like, you know, you realize players are good, but you're like, wow, these players are Hall of Fame good, and. Yeah. Uh, to know that their narratives, like they, what they were able to accomplish, really kind of shows how far they've come as players. And, and sometimes you're like, they're never going to do this and they're never going to do that. And sometimes it's the same matchups and the same teams every year that kind of get it done. And so this time to see that differently was uh, was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And pretty much all the guys you'd expect to come up big or play well in a game like this did. And even though, of course, this is a Clippers podcast, we're going to talk about their incredible victory. Tim Duncan, at age was 39 in this playoff game, this is kind of his last real run. 27 points, 11 rebounds, and throw in one assist as well. But 37 minutes, he went 11 of 16, 69% from the field. Uh, it was really a throwback Duncan game and kind of what you said, cementing him as maybe the best power forward ever. Just a, a wild, incredible performance from him and what was almost a win for the Spurs. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about just like one of those nail-biter games. The Spurs have done it so many times, and they have so much experience. Um, so the fact that, like, you know, they're the, in your mind when you're like, oh, it's this type of situation, the Spurs kind of go, you, the Spurs will find a way to win. They've been here before, and they've, they've dug deep, and they that's what you expect from them. So. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's why most people or a lot of pundits pick the Spurs to win that series. One, they're the, the the defending champions at the time. Two, of course, you have the Clippers with their struggles or their kind of history in the playoffs of what they've done and, and losing in tough moments. So, you know, with all of that combined together, uh, it really made the, the Game 7 all, you know, all the more heightened and, and exciting. Uh, but but let's get into it, Omar. We, we mentioned this was a crazy Game 7, and really just a crazy series in general the the Clippers were the three seed technically the Spurs were the six but as we've already alluded to not your typical six seed they were separated by one game in the standings and really just in a glut of other teams that could have been really anywhere from the two to the seven seed were all teams that were very equally matched yeah I mean you you look at this and you're like how did these two teams get matched up in the first round like this is like a, a conference final type situation um, or at least a semifinal type situation. Then the first round for this to happen is like a travesty. You're like, someone had to be injured for half the season for this to be happening, or something <laughs> had to, something really had to go wrong. Um, to get, it was just that close of a year. It was 2015. Uh, I think that was the Warriors won it all that year. So um, taking you back, the Warriors were. I think this was their second championship or their first championship. And uh, this they, was 
their uh, their first championship. Yeah. So they were just super super dominant, and uh, I think like everyone outside of them was in contention to be like, okay, we can we can be anywhere from two through eight. Um, it was it's just crazy, you know. You think about that year in, in particular. Um, was that the year that Steph was breaking all the records? Was that the first year where Steph was like crushing everybody? Yeah, and that was uh, Curry's, yeah, like you said, first MVP season and the first year that the Warriors were under Steve Kerr and ultimately ended up winning the championship, like you said. But outside of that glut of teams, uh, they were most dominant, 67 wins in that regular season and eventually going on to win the title. Yeah, when you get to 67, like that Dallas Mavericks team that got upset in the first round by the Warriors, that's, that is an accomplishment. Like You think about how few teams have ever gotten to 70, um, I think it's two, right? There's only been the Warriors and the Bulls. Those are the only two that have gotten to the, the big 7-0. Yeah. So at 67, that's like right there on the cusp. Yeah, so. no, and of course the Warriors ended up winning it all, and previously, the year prior, the Clippers had beaten the Warriors, but that's what led Golden State to make that coaching change, and as they say, the rest is history for them and, and going on to win multiple titles. That's crazy. What, 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 let's back up a year. So the Clippers had beaten the Warriors in how many games? What was the... That was seven as well, so that's another great series. Um, you know, that, of course, has the, sub, the subtext of the Donald Sterling thing going on in the middle of the series, so in game four, or right before it, so when that tape came out, uh, but the Clippers ended up winning that uh, in seven as well. Same kind of scenario at Staples Center, uh, winning a close game to win that series in seven. It's crazy. You think about it, and you're like, "Wow, that's the team." You know, you think of, you know watching all the, the documentaries of, like the Last Dance and and the stuff you see online. You think about like uh, you know Isaiah Thomas having to beat uh, Magic and and Magic having to beat Bird and and Jordan having to beat uh, Isaiah, and now you know like. You think about Steph Curry, and you're like, wow, he had to beat the Clippers. He had to beat Chris Paul. He had to beat Blake Griffin, DeAndre. And he changed the game by doing so. Like, it's that was his one of their big nemesis in order to to overcome because they were not getting it done before that. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, obviously this is going to bring up bad memories for Clippers fans out there. But, you know, this year didn't end in a great fashion for the Clippers. You know, the Spurs series, of course, is incredible. But the Clippers were significantly better than the Rockets and ended up blowing that series. And that, of course, withheld what would have been a rematch with the Warriors in the conference finals if the Clippers had ended up closing out their 3-1 lead and, you know, 18-point lead in Game 6 over the Rockets. Yeah. It's uh, it's tough to see, you know. It's one of those things you just... You, that's why you play the games. Sometimes you're like, should have gone this way and should have gone that way, but sometimes it is what it is. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, no, the more you think about it, the less it makes sense, especially when you put it in context of this Spurs series and, and really everything that went on in this series with the Clippers and the Spurs, not only Game 7, but you look at how the series played out. Clippers win Game 1, they lose 2-3, and three, and then win Game 4 on the road in San Antonio, lose Game 5 at home, win Game 6 on the road in San Antonio, and then in just this game alone, went down you know, five points in the fourth quarter a couple different times, of course, Chris Paul's injury, so all the resilience that led to this incredible victory somehow fell apart in the next round, but uh, worked out for them in this game against the Spurs. Yeah, so like in the beginning, 
what happened? Like, what what do you remember from happening from the beginning of the game? Like, do you remember? Like, I remember you were super excited. You're like, game seven. All right, this is <laughs> this is a chance. Um, but what were you? What were your feelings? What were your thoughts when you were you know at the game? Well, I was just super excited. I mean, like, obviously you were the one who made that game happen for us, and that's still one of the coolest things ever. And and just just being there in that environment was incredible. You know, for me, the the feeling was of one, incredible excitement, and two, you know, once you get closer to game time and the game starting, just being super nervous throughout. And obviously with it being such a close game, it was just like the ebbs and flows of the game where you're super excited and super high one second and then low and back and forth and back and forth. So so that's what I remember, you know, initially from it. And then obviously all the, t- the twists and turns, the Chris Paul injury stands out huge because I think, at least from how I remember it, we were, you know, watching the game, couldn't quite see from our vantage point the injury happen. It seemed like, you know, late in the first quarter, Chris Paul grabs the hamstring, he hits a three, he checks out with about two minutes left in the first quarter, which is kind of par for the course, a little bit normal in terms of their substitution patterns. And then as he continues to sit out or not come back in the game, you hear kind of the rumblings around our part of the, the section in the stands of, where is Chris Paul? Austin Rivers has been in for a long time. This is game seven, what's going on? And just kind of realizing and going to Twitter and being trying to get updates. And then, of course, Paul, a few minutes later, coming back and kind of just gutting it out the rest of the game. Austin Rivers is such a good player, though. Like, you know, for being the coach's son, he actually can really hold his own. Um, I don't think it's, like, nepotism or anything that goes along with that as far as, like, the pure talent that he has, he's a really skilled player. And as far as backups go, I think he's – you talk about a quality backup there, Austin Rivers – uh, I mean, you're talking about being a backup behind a Hall of Famer, but Austin Rivers kind of held his own. Yeah, no, I'm, I've always been a big proponent of Austin Rivers and felt like a lot of the kind of the, the negative attention toward him towards him has been unfair. But especially in the playoffs, he's really performed really well in big games. This game, he didn't get a ton of time. He only played 12 minutes and didn't score. But, you know, the games, game four and game six of the Clippers won on the road. Austin Rivers was huge in both of those games. And, of course, in the next round, he had that got the, the point total, but 28 points, that outburst against the Rockets, and then other playoff games in, in the un, the ensuing years. Uh, Rivers definitely, as you said, held his own and really showed that he's a quality player. Absolutely, and you think about Austin and and, uh, and Chris Paul, like, I think we, if it was very close to being Tim Duncan's game, but it was really Chris Paul's game. He took over um, and really made it happen. I think you look to your leader at those times, and uh, it's one of those situations that the leader kind of makes it happen and comes through for you, you emotionally and, and the, the driving force behind the team. I'm yeah, I mean, specifically, like, you know, you think about players, it's kind of why it's like a team sport, but really, really you, you follow specific players, like they have a talent. Um, when you talk about like a superstar player, like, a, you know, LeBron, Steph, Chris Paul, um, you follow their their lead. Um, and it's kind of crazy just to be like, wow, it's one player that can make a difference um, and really can lead a team to victory. So it's cool to see. Yeah, we mentioned Duncan was 11 of 16 from the field. Chris Paul was 9 of 13, including 5 of 6 from three-point range for 27 points. And, of course, the game-winning shot. And the game-winner, of course, is what you'll remember most from that ball game. But, uh, you know, you look at this Clippers team and one that went with an incredibly short rotation in this game. They played, they did play 10 players technically, but really just eight 
Hito Turkoglu played just two minutes, and Dante Jones played 24 seconds, and then you <laughs> had Big ba- Yeah, you had Big Baby play about 11 minutes. Austin Rivers played 12, and then everyone else. Jamal Crawford being the sixth man, and then the starting five of CP, JJ Redick, Matt Barnes, Griffin, and DeAndre, all playing around 30 or 40 minutes in the ball game. So it was, as you'd expect in the playoffs, really shortened rotations, but. For the Clippers, along with the heroics of Chris Paul, kind of what strikes me most when I look back at this game and look at the box score is how balanced everything was in terms of not only scoring up and down the lineup, but the shot attempts, which is always something that Doc Rivers preaches of trusting teammates and trusting each other. Almost every single person in the lineup had nearly identical shot attempts. Crawford had 15 attempts, which was the most 13 attempts for Barnes, 13 for Paul, 14 for Griffin, and 11 for Reddick. So pretty much everyone in the lineup touched and shot the ball the same amount. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, you think about that, that's like it's a really good team dynamic there. But, I mean, you still know it was Chris Paul's game, even though it was uh, it was crazy to me because I, I remember, like, obviously – the moments you remember, you know, and life is when you think about your memory, it's not perfect. But I remember just feeling like this intense, like, oh, man, like, are the Clippers going to do this again? Are they going to find a way to blow it? Like, and that roller coaster, like in the last few minutes where you're like, oh, they're they're up, they're down, they're up, they're down. <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's like it's so much fun. Yeah, no, it, it, re- it really was. And, uh, you know, going into the actual game a little bit, as said, it was really back and forth through the whole thing, but kind of the first thing outside of the the game winner that jumped out to me, just from having a chance to watch Chris Paul so much, was late in the third quarter, I don't know if you remember this one specifically, but Manu Ginobili, he basically got Austin Rivers to foul him from about 80 feet away from the basket and then threw up a shot, and I know at that time of of the league, which they've continued now, the the kind of natural shooting motion foul, that they wouldn't give you that the three-shot attempts in that point if you're Obviously, Ginobili, with, I believe, eight seconds left in the third quarter, is not going to shoot an 80-footer, but they gave him the three free throws, which, obviously, Chris Paul tried to do that, I think, 25 times that year and never got that same call. And Ginobili ends up hitting two out of three, and then Chris Paul banks in a three at the end of the third quarter buzzer to kind of get those points back and starts yelling at the ref. So that that was the first thing that I remember from just kind of the, the situation going up a notch and in going into the fourth quarter. Chris Paul really took the team on his back and he says, you know, you're going to take these two points away from us, then we're going to we're going to find a way to make make you pay for it and get that extra point. And that extra point was actually a big deal because only ended up winning by one bucket. Yeah, one bucket was 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 all that all the difference like you said. It was a 10 or 111, excuse me, 109 final to win that one in game 7, but uh you know, the back and forth nature we talked about you know, Spurs go up by four with about six minutes left. DeAndre Jordan gets fouled, and that was another subplot of this game in this series. He makes one out of two, and then Doc Rivers makes the decision to to take out DeAndre for the rest of the game for about, I believe, the 526 mark. Clippers are down three, 95-92. DeAndre had a great game, 14 rebounds, played 34 minutes, but was just three of nine from the free throw line. And really, when you look back at that, a very risky decision by Doc Rivers to go pretty small against a pretty big Spurs team uh, down the stretch and, and able to, to pull that one out with DeAndre on the bench after him having a really good game and series. 
it's tough, you know, because you you look at both these teams, and in my opinion, both of these teams play have this one thing in common where their sixth man is really their starter. For both teams, you look at Jamal Crawford and Mono Ginobili, and both of them should be starting. So when you cut down to crunch time, you want the guy who's going to be able to score, and to me that's Jamal Crawford. Um, and you kind of, you know, play small ball or adapt um, in the best way. If you have somebody who can guard a Tim Duncan or a, uh, or, or who was their center at the time? Was it Bonner uh, Splitter? Yeah, so Splitter somebody, and, uh, and DL played a lot uh, off the bench as well. And, yeah, it was you want somebody who's going to be in there and, and uh, is going to be able to score regardless of height, regardless of matchup. Um, and so it's it's a really, really just interesting uh, thing because both of them should have had their six men in at, at that point, in my opinion. So I think they docked the right thing. Yeah, no, it obviously ended up working out for them. And it was interesting to watch it back, to see the give and take of it. Because, you know, the Clippers, as you said, were able to get big buckets from all Crawford, had a layup to tie the game with a minute left, which was a huge shot. Uh, but you look at it kind of went both ways for them. We saw the Spurs on on back-to-back possessions within the final three minutes score on second and third opportunities. One, Tim Duncan got an and one after a couple block shots in the paint where the Clippers couldn't get the rebound. And then the following possession, Kawhi Leonard had a putback layup after a miss. So the Clippers, you could see it there. It was kind of the the struggle to make the decision of, all right, DeAndre's out, now we can't really get a rebound, but now we, we can score well on the other end and just going kind of back and forth on each possession. This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. While you're waiting this out at home, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag. Despite no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. BetOnline still has hundreds of places to wager, including their casino with poker and blackjack, and sports aren't totally done. There's still eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, The Elections, The Spelling Bee, and their $750,000 poker series. Really, anything you can think of, it's there to bet on on betonline.ag. There is still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your wagering experts. Was was Kawhi already a superstar at this point? I know he had won the Finals MVP the year before, and I think that kind of put him on the map um, as far as accomplishments. I feel like that was his first, like, oh, he's the real deal now, Finals MVP. Um, but was he, like, at the superstar level? Was it his team or was it Duncan's team at this point? You know, looking at it, you know, trying to think back of it, I'm sure in the moment, at least from what I remember, when I was thinking about it, it still kind of felt like Duncan's team, even though... Kawhi was the better player at the time, and you look at the stats for the series, Kawhi Leonard did lead the team in scoring. He averaged 20 points per game, but Duncan was also great. He averaged 18 points and 11 rebounds. Kawhi had seven boards. So I think it was kind of right at the time of Kawhi was the best player, but Duncan still was the leader of the team, so it's a little bit of that give and take. But I think it was just on the cusp of Kawhi. He's 23 years old during this season of him basically establishing himself as a star. If people didn't know it already, you could kind of see it coming. He did have a couple of huge games in this series, including Game 3, he had 32. So I think it was really, you know, he won the Finals MVP, as you said, the year before. So that was what put it on the radar. And then after this, you could see him kind of evolving into that star as this season played on and this series played on. 
do you think Kawhi comes to the Clippers if he didn't lose to them? Maybe it's like uh, if you can't beat him, join him. The like Kevin Durant model is the new <laughs> NBA thing. Maybe he he remembers like, oh, the Clippers are actually tougher than people give him credit for, and he he was like, this is a mindset. They you know this might have had an impact in him coming and eventually landing there. It's possible. Obviously, Kawhi went on to win another title, and you know the 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 allure of it being his hometown and being in LA, I think, was a huge part of it. But you never know how much of an impression that left with. You know, the team being different, but Doc Rivers still being there and Steve Ballmer still being there. Um, you know, who knows how much of an impression that left on Kawhi from, from that 2015 year. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like like it all made sense, you know? Yeah, and looking back in this fourth quarter, just a couple of other plays that really stood out to me. You have the Clippers down 97-94. J.J. Redick hits a three to tie it. Duncan hits a shot to go back up to Redick hits another three to put the Clippers up one. And, you know, I, I think a lot when we think back of J.J. Redick's Clippers tenure, he did have a lot of playoff struggles, but this game and this series, he was really good. He had four three-pointers in the game, and he shot the ball really well in this series as well. So for someone who did have playoff struggles, and probably the Clippers' toughest and most important series, J.J. Redick had a really big series in game as well. Yeah. He's got a lot of mental toughness, you know. I, I do think that that it's the whole that whole team had really high expectations, in my opinion. Like they could have been the Warriors if the Warriors weren't around. Like to me, they had that amount of hype because you talk about Lob City and and you know what that the expectations for that were through the roof. They had DeAndre Blake and Chris Paul, like. JJ was a big like was a really solid role player, and you think about you know Jamal Crawford being that like you know quintessential scorer type. You know you think of six man of the year. They had the team that could have potentially taken them to multiple championships, not even one championship. But sadly, there was uh, one of the greatest teams of all time there. It's like you know you talk about Utah Jazz and Carl Malone against Jordan, and you talk about Charles Barkley and and Gary Payton and Sean Kemp against Jordan. It's like yeah you. Sometimes there's just you're you're a really really great team, but there's just that other team that's that much better, and that's sometimes all you need. Yeah. Well, also for the Clippers, just as you said, kind of shooting themselves in the foot in different times in the the year prior. They you know blew the series against the Thunder that they probably could have and should have won, and then of course this year the Houston series which they could have and should have won. There were ample opportunities there for them, and you know will always be despite how exciting a lot of these times were, a little bit of a, a sting with this era, just because, as you said, they had probably the skill set to at least get themselves in the position to be in a championship and, and never never got there. It, it's interesting. You know, you look back at this, at this you know, can't beat them, join them thing with, that I was talking about earlier with Kawhi. Chris Paul also couldn't beat the Rockets and join them. And, and uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Like, maybe there's like a psych- psychological aspect, like, Man, they'd be so much better if they had me. Like we could go all the way. Um, so maybe there's something to that, though, where people are like, "Man, they were really good and really tough." And if I just came on there, like I'm gonna make the difference there. And maybe there's something to that in the NBA as a whole. Maybe there's like some sort of like secret, like, okay, I'm gonna come here and make this team good better. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe like you know, CP3 was like, maybe I need to be here because. They beat us, and let's see if I can make the difference. No, it's certainly possible. And you look at, unfortunately, for Chris Paul, who's, as you said, a Hall of Famer, one of the best point guards ever. For him, there's a lot of what-ifs in his playoff career because in this year with the Clippers, of course, his hamstring injury played a role in them not ultimately advancing 
past the second round, and you talk about with him, him with Houston, maybe they beat the Warriors and win the championship if he doesn't get hurt in that series as well. And then there's multiple, a couple of other playoff occasions where Chris Paul suffered injury. So he's really gotten the short end of the stick in multiple playoff appearances, which has kind of led to his playoff struggles throughout his career. I got a question for you. Is the greatest clipper of all time on this team? Like, I mean, at this point? I think at this point, yes. I would say, resoundingly, yes. I think it's I think it's probably Chris Paul. You know, in terms of impact, it could be Blake Griffin, because he's the one who got everything started in terms of making them an attraction and a destination and bringing in Chris Paul and making them the team that they were. So I do think that, yeah, right now Chris Paul is the greatest clipper ever. Um, with the caveat that, you know, whenever we do get back to basketball and, and seeing how incredible Kawhi Leonard is, I think Kawhi Leonard has the opportunity to be that if he's there for a long time and does what I think we expect him to do. But, but yeah, Chris Paul, no doubt with what he's done, I think is definitely up there and probably the best clipper of all time right now. It's interesting, you know, even with Paul George and Kawhi, it's like, we'll see how they end up pairing. But Chris Paul had a lot, a lot of opportunities to get, to, to get it done, and he didn't. So I think it's just about how far Kawhi and Paul George are able to go. And if they're able to go and, and get a championship, I think that'll cement them as the greatest Clippers of all time. But if not, then I think CP3 is right there. Um, do you think that it's possible that CP3 gets a jersey retired or anything like that? Is that too crazy to talk about? No, I, th- I think, honestly, eventually, at some point, that'll happen. I think that already you can kind of see any bitterness that was there in the, the year or two after Chris Paul first decided to, to basically opt in to get traded to Houston. Uh, we've seen that kind of soften from both sides. You know, Doc Rivers and Chris Paul talked, uh, you know, said really nice things about each other since, and we've seen the team and their throwback account post stuff of Chris Paul now and stuff of this game that we're talking about. So I think any... Bitterness that was there is is not anymore. Just you know, for for the fact that both Chris Paul and the Clippers have been successful without each other, I think that's helped. And I do think that eventually, yeah, we'll see both Chris and Blake, and, and maybe even DeAndre's numbers all retired for the Clippers at some point. Do you think that Blake is going to get his jersey retired? Like you know, you you know the story of obviously of the uh, of like him going to Detroit. Yeah. So, do you think that like Blake is already guaranteed a spot on the rafters right now, as it stands? Like you talk about Chris Paul being up there, do you think Blake is up there with him? Yeah, no question. I think, like I said, Blake is the one who set everything in motion, and you know, of course, you can say what you will about them not advancing as far as they should have, but the sheer numbers and production from Blake is is off the charts, and you know that's reflected in this series. This was probably his best playoff performance as well, where. Not only did he have a big game seven, he had a triple-double in this game seven, which we haven't even talked about yet. He had 24, 13, and 10. But for the series, he was incredible as well. He he led the team. He averaged 24 points, 13 rebounds, seven and a half assists, and over a steal and over a block per ball game. So this was probably his best moment as a Clipper. And, uh, you know, he he had a lot of great times before he ended up getting traded. And I think that there's no question he'll have his jersey retired at some point as well. Yeah, that'll be it'll be interesting to see. Like, I'd be super, super excited to be like, wow, that's to have Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. Like, it's I think this is the time. Like, this is the first part where I'm like, yep, they should probably have been the guys to get it done. Yeah, and especially when you think about they'll have the new arena in 2024. You know, 
who knows, Blake will probably still be playing at the time. Chris, probably not. But a short time after that, I think, with that new arena, you'll see the jerseys start to go up when they have their own building and they're able to, to celebrate things a little bit easier that way. Absolutely. It's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, really, and, really interesting. And speaking of Blake, we mentioned his huge game, the triple-double in this game. The real thing that stands out alongside that, for me, we mentioned DeAndre Jordan with his free-throw struggles. We know at this point Blake was getting better at free-throws but still wasn't incredible. He was 10 of 11 from the free-throw line in this game, and in a game decided wow. in the final second, that's huge, huge. For, for the game, especially in a Game 7. It's interesting, you know, it's like you, you play, you know, you think of that game, to me, you think of that last second, Chris Paul, he's driving down, he hits, he's he's going hard, and he banks it in, he pushes, like he gets, a, he's getting fouled to me by Danny Green, it should have been an and one, um, and you think about all that, and it's funny how, like, every moment that leads up to it, within, like, every basket is that two points, if you think about it in that way, yeah. and so... Like, it's crazy that you think of that last second as that last moment, but it takes so much drive and energy um, to get to that point. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, looking down in the final, you know, minute or two of the ball game, but specifically the final seconds, you mentioned Chris Paul's game winner, but really in the final 10 seconds you had, when it was tied, Chris Paul shoot a 15-footer, miss but get fouled by Duncan, Paul makes both free throws. A little bit of a questionable call. Chris Paul really sold it. And then you go back down the other way. Tim Duncan gets fouled. Another kind of soft, questionable call. And Duncan, who was really a poor free throw shooter in that year, this was obviously near the end of his career, he was not great in the series, not great in the game. He was 3 of 6 on the night before going to the line, and he makes both to tie the game with 8 seconds before Obviously, Chris Paul leads into that game-winning bank shot that you just talked about. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy. Like, those little things, you just, one thing goes wrong or you miss a free throw here and there, and it's momentum. It's like everything kind of goes, could not have ended up the same way. So, it's so fascinating to me. Like, the little things, the momentum, like, two, like, really juggernaut teams going at it, trading blows, trading moments. Like, you're like, okay. Because I think... When I'm in that position, I'm like, when something goes in or something doesn't go in, it's like, that was it. That was my chance. Or that was, that was it. Like this one, that's, that's the game right there. You think nothing else is going to happen this game. There's time left on the clock, but you don't think about the time. You think about what just happened and you, you react to it either emotionally or, or, or physically being like, I lost confidence. They hit that shot or, so it takes a, a level of mental toughness to be like, no, we're, whatever, we still have time, and we're going to make the most of this time. Yeah, and I think that's you know, what makes this all the more impressive for the Clippers when they're facing a team in San Antonio that had been through it so many times and, of course, had just come off winning a championship and almost back-to-back titles against the Heat. Uh, it was just really showed the Clippers had to dig as deep as possible to get this one. But along with the, the star players, of course, Chris Paul and Duncan for, for – Chris Paul for the Clippers, Duncan for the Spurs – in games like this, there's always, it feels like, one or two role players that that kind of make big plays or make a big difference. And we talked about, of course, what Reddick did and Jamal Crawford having a big game. But for me, Matt Barnes was just incredible in this game. And you, you kind of look at that. Danny Green did the same kind of thing for the Spurs. But 
without Matt Barnes's production and what he did, Clippers probably don't win this game either. Barnes only averaged 7.6 points for the series as a whole, but he had 17 points in Game 7 along with five boards and hit 3 of 8 from downtown, including arguably, in my opinion, kind of the biggest shot of the game, you know, not counting Chris Paul's buzzer beater. Clippers down 105-102. J.J. Redick, on kind of a broken play, has nothing really going on, kicks out to Barnes, who hits a straightaway three to tie the game. For me, that was kind of the possession where the Clippers needed to score or San Antonio could have really capitalized and tried to put it away. And, and Barnes hitting that three when I think the Spurs didn't really expect him to even shoot it was was one of the biggest, biggest shots of the game. Do you think that having the game tied makes a bigger difference? Like, when you think it's either you win or, like, you're down one or, or the game is tied, do you think emotionally you have, like, a different reaction? Like, that because a, a bucket is two points. So you think about it in terms of, like, I need... I need a bucket. Like, yeah. do you, does it matter to you if the game is tied because that risk is away? Does that make that shot a little bit easier? So even if you miss it, the pressure's still off. You're going to overtime. But if you're down one, you lose the game. Does that put like? Does that change the shot? Yeah. Who knows if it's a different shot or approach to the shot if it, you're down one? But I think that you know, of course, it's an insanely clutch shot no matter what. But I do think, yeah, there's no question the pressure is less if you have kind of overtime in your back pocket where you're like, all right, if I miss, we got another five minutes, we're okay. But, yeah. you know, if you flip it on the other side, oh, we're down one, we got to score here or, or we're going home and that's it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yep. and what do you remember from, you know, you kind of described the shot itself, but kind of the final moments of the game in the building being there and, and what you remember from going down the stretch? I think I wanted more basketball. Like, I didn't want to leave after after the Clippers, after Chris hit that shot. I was like, I was I was thinking, I was like, no, like, I just want more. Like, this is just so good. I'm, all, like, on the edge of my seat. Like, I think I was happy that the Clippers won, but then I was like, I want more basketball. Because, you, you know, it's like, whenever your game ends and you come out the victor, you just want to stand there and jump up and down and be excited and, and high-five people and and not leave like I remember just wanting to be like I don't want to go home I just want to stay here like can I can we watch can we watch the next overtime anyway like um but yeah it's just it was just so much fun you know you think about those emotions and and they all kind of come streaming back like I remember where we were sitting I remember watching it I like I was like like didn't believe it you know I was like what what just happened uh what was it like for you like kind of experiencing it I know you've you've dealt with a lot of disappointment as a Clippers fan <laughs> over the year um so what did you, like, what was this like for you? Well, kind of similar to you. Like, obviously, I wanted the game to end where it did. But in terms of the game itself, it maybe you know, the best game I've seen in person ever, just from how well this game was played and kind of looking down the stretch. Of course, there were some missed shots, but it seemed like any time there was a shot missed down the stretch, it was because a great play was made. So it was either a block shot or an incredible challenge at the rim. If not... Both teams were just kind of trading punches, going back and forth, where, you know, the Clippers in this game, which is crazy to think about, a game seven against an incredible team, they shot 53% from the field for the whole game, and the Spurs, similarly, were at 48%. Those are two teams that are just really not missing in an incredible game, so going back and forth. But in terms of my mindset at the game, like I told you, just incredibly nervous, uh, but excited, and you know, I think having gone through a couple playoff disappointments, that was there in the back of my head, and I'm sure a lot of other people's, but I, and I think a lot of other people, truly believe that despite the Spurs being the defending champs, that 
that year, even if it was just .01% that I thought the Clippers were legit the better team and that they if they played their best, they could win that game. So that was kind of my mindset in it, that they can take this game, they can win this game, they just got to make the plays and, and obviously able to do it in, in the most thrilling fashion, being there in person, just... Yeah, that shot was uh, was incredible to see in person and just the reaction from there and, you know, getting the final stop with Barnes knocking it away after the timeout was, uh, you know, the icing on the cake. I want to talk about the Spurs for a second. Because to <laughs> me, I, you know, the Spurs are a dynasty. To me, it's no question. You think about Pop and Duncan and their four rings, five rings, how many rings do they have? Five, I'm yeah. Thinking. And you think of them as dynasty. I think of them as a dynasty because, you know, Obviously, bringing up painful memories, uh, they brought they beat the Knicks in '99, and and you know they they beat LeBron and several times, and they were a dynasty, but they I don't think they ever won two in a row. No, and they were always kind of they were either like they as a, they they came year on year off year on year off type type of thing. And to me, that's crazy. Like, who does that? Like, why are you able to to do that? Like, to that point where you're like. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna win, but I'm gonna win not in a row. Usually, like people have runs in consecutive years. Like it's like you think about like the Lakers and the Celtics. Like they went back and forth a couple times. But you you think about like the the Pistons. When the Pistons won in the '80s and they lost to Jordan, they were done. You think about Jordan when like they had their run, they were getting it done. Um, so my question goes to you: Is do you think this ended a dynasty? This game seven buzzer beater because. Popovich, Duncan, like, to me, this was, uh, they were the defending champs at this point, and they got taken out. Yeah, you know, I think so. I think if you want to look at it that way, I, it's hard to argue it. I think for Duncan, as we said, he was so, so good in this game, but he was 39 years old, and this was kind of his last hurrah with this level of production. So you think, you know, you go forward in years after this where Duncan still played very well, but an older player, especially in a changing NBA with what the Warriors ended up becoming, uh, you know, the the bigger basketball that the Spurs really thrived in, and, and they've, of course, adapted with the times as well, but, you know, Duncan's ability to keep up certainly diminished after this year, and credit to the Spurs, their longevity, as you said, is, is incredible and crazy, uh, but I do think that, yeah, they, this was ultimately probably their last real shot to, to win another title, and uh, as you said, it was both fortunate that we got to see it and unfortunate that it was in the first round between what probably was really a conference finals type series just that happened to be in the first round. I, you know, it's funny. You think about your memory and like what, what's good. Uh, I remember now that it's like been so long, Greg Popovich going in an interview being like, how in the world is this a first round series? This is not right. <laughs> like this. I remember him saying that, like and being like visibly frustrated that he was like, this is not a first-round series. This should not be. Well, yeah. This not. And to that point, you look at, still in the NBA, there's the division winners get home court. So you look at the Spurs. We mentioned they were tied with the Grizzlies in the standings at 5-6. and six. Both of them had better records than the Trailblazers, who were the four seed. They were 51-31 and 31 as the four seed, and they were four games worse than both the five and the six seed. So I think that's... That was part of Greg Popovich's, Greg Popovich's frustration as well, was that you know the Spurs were better than a couple teams in front of them in the standings and ended up getting this kind of really rough draw in a knockdown, drag-em-out series in the first round. Absolutely. 
That's crazy to me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, it's it really is. And, and as you said, Spurs definitely were the most interesting dynasty because we've heard so many people talk about it's really hard to win back-to-back finals, but we've seen it a lot. Uh, but for whatever reason, the Spurs couldn't get it done back-to-back, but they could just keep it up in terms of their overall production and, and come back despite not winning back-to-back and then retool and win again, then lose, then win again. It's it's something we haven't really seen before. No, I mean, yeah, you think about Popovich and you're like, how did he do this? How, <laughs> I don't I don't get it. Like, once you get kicked down, it's hard to get back up. But he found a way to do it year after year after year, like no big deal. No, I know. And, and the fact that the Spurs' playoff streak has continued while their, their roster has diminished is incredible and you look at even this season which who knows you know how it's going to play out if there's going to be first of all a continuation of the season at all or and if there is if they'll allow there to be the rest of the regular season or if we'll go straight to the playoffs but as bad as it seems like the Spurs have been this year and they're a long shot for it but they're still just four games out of the playoffs right now this year Uh, they certainly wouldn't be a real factor in the playoffs but it just shows you that even when they have a less talented roster, they're still fighting for playoff positioning. What do you think is the right thing to do this year? Like, do you have an opinion? Like, do you think to go straight in the playoffs? Do you think it's, I know it's a, uh, or do you think it's like you give like a five-game chance to, for people to get into it? Or is it, like, what do you, what do you think is, is the right call at this point as far as playoff? Do you need a few games to get conditions? You're not, like, forced into, like, this, you're not conditioned playoff. Yeah, I, I honestly go back and forth on just what I think is right each day with each new piece of news that I read about it. But, you know, if they're able to do this thing in a bubble, essentially, like they've been talking about in, you know, Disney World or Vegas or wherever they can make this happen and have the testing and and things available where it doesn't affect the outside world, you know, I would obviously love to see basketball continue. You know, I think it'd be fine if they went straight into the playoffs, but uh, I think for the players there's a big sense that they want at least some tune-up time and a couple regular season games at least. And I know... From a salary cap perspective, there's big payouts and things that can be reached when you hit 70 games, which teams are a couple games away from. So I think there's going to be some kind of regular season and then lead that into a playoffs. But it's it'll obviously be interesting to see if they're able to pull it off at all. Do you think there's like some sort of like proration if the people have like certain things in their contract? You hit X like 10,000 points or 3,000 points in a season, and you're like, all right, because you hit this, you're now going to get. Uh, that like I'm curious if like there's a if there's like a proration like oh you only played 70 games so you, you still have it at 2400 points or I was I gonna know. say that might that might be my question for you you've got more of the law experience than me you might have to that might have to go uh, into the courtroom rather than on the court <laughs> to see uh, if people are gonna get their actual payouts for stuff like that I don't know you know it's it's interesting we'll see I guess what happens with the country as a whole because them arguing over their their what they're, what they're allowed to get is, is interesting because I think they are, should be getting it too. Yeah. No, I, as I said, we can only hope that we, we get basketball, and if we do, that it'll be you know safe and efficiently done where these guys can stay healthy and, and be able to get this done in a, in a safe and, and fun environment. But, uh, as you know, as you said, for me and for you, I think it's no one really has a real answer right now. It's, it's just kind of a wait-and-see approach with everything. Yeah, sadly, that's the only way it can be right now. It's just wait and see. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what comes of it. I don't know. I don't know what to expect. And I think that's in itself is exciting. Yeah. So, Omar, this has been really fun. We appreciate you uh, taking a trip down memory lane, and 
being a part of that incredible Game 7, as I said, it was I wouldn't have been there without without you getting the ticket. So uh, the memory will be there forever. And uh, I know for, for Clippers fans, that Game 7, despite what came after, was, was one of the best moments ever for the franchise. No, I agree, man. It was so much fun to be there with you, and I, and I cherish that memory deeply. I'm like, man, I cannot believe we were there. Like, it's, like, still so real. It's different when you're, like, at the game instead of watching it on TV. You, like, are part of history. You have a chance to affect it, and I, I thank you for being a Clipper fan and and, uh, and being like, let's do this. So, <laughs> had, a, had a blast, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, Omar Spahi on the Believe in Clippers podcast. Omar, thanks so much for coming on, and stay safe out there. Thanks for having me. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. It's different for you. It's different for me. One thing is certain. Every day, there's an opportunity to win. Just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab and go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. The new lucky number scratcher from the Virginia Lottery. 32 chances to win $500,000 plus four bonus games. Stop by your closest retailer and check it out. For odds and more information, visit VALottery.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Believe in Clippers podcast. Big thanks again to Omar Spahi, and a thanks to you for tuning in once again. Know that if you enjoyed the show, as we said at the top, please rate, review, and subscribe. We're also available wherever podcasts can be found and at Believe.com, where you can follow along with many different shows on the platform. So with all of that said, thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week here on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network and the only place for the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? Go Clips. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.